0: It is Monday, it's the fan drive time, Sportsnet 590, the fan, Ben Ennis, Blake Murphy, and it's a wild weekend, it's a wild Monday, Uh, here's what I've learned, Blake, the best way to not get traded is to have yourself removed from the lineup for trade-related purposes, because Jacob Chikrin, Vlad Gavrikov, Luke Shen, they're like the only guys still out there, and Patrick Kane, who's going to be traded to the Rangers before Friday, but
1: yeah, those guys haven't been traded, everybody else has, Everybody else has. That's right. uh, Like almost literally uh, everybody else. Everyone in the Western Conference anyway has been traded to the Eastern Conference. (laughs) It is now Colorado against the winner of this absolute death match in the Eastern Conference. (laughs) If If you are a Western Conference player, you are not on the Colorado Avalanche, and you are any good, pack your bags. You're getting traded by Friday. Dude, if you were, because it's not just like, Um, points percentage because by
0: points percentage, six of the top seven teams in the national hockey league right now are in the Eastern conference and all the Eastern conference teams are bulking up with more better players. And yeah, Kyle Dubas can tell you that he's not looking out his rear view mirror at at the other teams in the Atlantic division. But clearly there's, there's an effect that these teams are having on the other ones when they see the, the acquisitions that are being made by a team that's going to win Well, it's going to have the most points in the National Hockey League by like a factor of 20 and you're going to maybe face that team in the second round or you got a team that's already got a couple of cups under their belt and a bunch of uh, cup final appearances and they're acquiring players, a big beefy guy to to play in the, the bottom six of their lineup that yeah, obviously that's impacting you. If you're just like drafting teams to win the Stanley Cup, you're right, the avalanche Not just on on you know reputation because they've actually started to play better you know once they started getting their good players back but yeah you would take I mean it actually wouldn't be a wise decision because these teams do have to play each other but like so this is the thing is that (laughs)
1: like betting wise or even just like picking probabilities wise like you'd almost have to go with Colorado at this point because the gap in quality of competition on the way there like the odds of Colorado getting to the Stanley Cup finals out of the Western Conference. And I know there are still some good teams there. I don't mean to say it's completely done. But I would say, like, looking at the roster and your faith in those teams, Colorado is ahead above everyone else there. So your chances of just getting there are so much higher out of the West. Now, would I pick an Eastern Conference team to win in a vacuum? Yeah, all the good teams are in the Eastern yeah. Conference. It's just they're going to... I'd take
0: Colorado like, over
1: Boston. Like, what do, we, what do we talk about every year at this time? It, it's that... You know, playoff style hockey is a little different and it's a war of attrition where if you're the Tampa Bay Lightning and you get to the Stanley Cup finals for a third year in a row last year, there is a cumulative toll to have having gone through that a bunch of years in a row. We're hoping ha- on that even. Yeah, the Leafs would be the freshest team yeah. outside of the first round because yep. they haven't done it. Um yeah, it's it's gonna be a lot. And Kyle Dubas spoke today and he talked about how it's good for hockey and it's good for fans that <laughs> I love two that. of the six best teams in the league are gonna play each other in the first round. Um you, you have no choice but to say that if you're Kyle Dubas, and sure there's a part of him that believes that, hey, it's best for
0: our team to go through the tough times early because you know that's this team is ready to win and it doesn't matter who's in our path, but yeah. I gotta imagine, heart of hearts, you're asking Kyle Dubas what the best scenario would be, and I know it didn't work out so well when they played the Montreal Canadiens in the first round. It'd be like, can we just get like a four five game series, just get that one series victory under our belt against a team that's not so good? And I know they're in the playoffs, so th- there's very few, few like there's very few teams that, that you would want to play, especially in the Eastern Conference, but a lot more than the the team that's been to three straight Stanley Cup Finals.
1: And we can't really statistically account for what that looks like right like there's like you can do the best modeling in the world and there's not really a way to be like well if this series goes six or seven you are a lesser team for the next round because maybe you're banged up like it's hard to do that so um domicili over at the athletic before this leafs trade he had the top five teams in the eastern conference with a combined stanley cup probability of 65 (laughs) percent that'll be even an Like, I would imagine this Leafs trade bumps them marginally higher, maybe a percentage point or something like that. But he is still seeing the gap between the East and the West as two-thirds strong, right? Like, it's it's going to—these teams are so much better than everyone else. And the other part of it is, is like— I guess there's like a still a, a small percentage chance the abs mathematically could miss the playoffs. It's not going to happen, but the West is tight enough and there are enough teams hanging around. Um, but yeah, if you're the Leafs, you have to make a move like this. You have to spend the time between now and Friday, even though it's hard to imagine what that next move could be. You have to explore if there is a 13th forward who could make you better. You got to look at absolutely everything because this is going to be, a bloodbath in the Eastern Conference playoffs.
0: And Kyle Dubas and the Toronto Maple Leafs have looked at absolutely everything. And it is obviously today's top story. Um, I imagine you've heard by now. Um, But yeah, the Leafs are taking their biggest deadline swing in the Kyle Dubas era, giving away yet another first-round pick, acquiring Jake McCabe, forward Sam Lafferty as well, Uh, a conditional fifth-round pick going to the Leafs in 2024 and a conditional fifth-round pick in 2025 from the Chicago Blackhawks for a conditional 2025 first-round pick The Leafs first round pick a 2026 second round pick and forwards, Joey Anderson and Pavel uh, Golgalev 50% cap retention on the McCabe deal. And he's under contract for two more years beyond this. So that the cap hit for him is just 2 million bucks as a guy who's played on the top pairing in Chicago and the Blackhawks are real bad, but he's somehow in that morass of awfulness managed to emerge from this season with a positive five on five Goals for percentage. How has that happened?
1: I don't, he must be the greatest uh, defenseman on planet earth. Here's the thing. We've talked a bunch and and this was largely a Gavrikov conversation. It was a Ilya Labushkin conversation last year. Um, This is the hardest thing to do. If you're like efficiency wise, we can't all watch and God lately, maybe lately you're okay with it. But the the month or so before that, you don't want to be watching a lot of Chicago Blackhawks hockey. Um, you can't reasonably watch everything. You need to use the numbers to to help you kind of whittle down what you're looking at. And one of the hardest things about doing that is every defenseman on a bad team has bad numbers. Yeah. And so how do we do that? And then you get to Jake McCabe, but it's like, oh, that's how. You just have the one guy. Now, some of this is you know, a little bit of fortune in the the shooting percentages and stuff like that. Like he is, when he's been on the ice, Chicago has still... Um, but even you know, the
0: expected been, four, been, uh, goals for percentage, it's not at 50% because, again, the Blacks, yeah,
1: that leads the team. Yeah, it's significantly <laughs> higher. And, and, you know, a, a, the other thing you could say, too, is that where maybe it's not all the way there in terms of expected goals and um, Corsi or, or whatever your metric of choice, it's not really an issue of like stopping the other team. It's that they have no chance of doing things with the players that they have. Yeah. So it's, uh, I I do, I dug in on, uh, on some tape today on McCabe and on Lafferty and McCabe like pretty clearly was still good and, and driving play and doing the things you'd want to see in that situation. Um, his minutes are going to get easier in Toronto. He's going to play with, better defensive pairings with better forwards ahead of him. And he's not going to be starting every shift in his own zone. I don't think, which is uh, another thing that he had kind of tilted against him. It kind of feels like he's, he's a batter. He he, he just,
0: you know, took out a bunch of swings with the batting donut on. And now the batting donut is coming off. And he's not going to be asked to play the same type of minutes. He's not going to be asked to play in the same type of deployment. Although, you know, the minutes thing could be up up in the air, depending on where he slots in. And I know on Kipper and Bourne they were talking about potential top pairing minutes for for Jake McCabe. And obviously, you know, he shares the same first name as as the guy that the Maple Leafs would love to have uh on the blue line come playoff time, the guy with the Stanley Cup ring and Jake Muzzin. And and, and there's a comparison to be made there. Where, where exactly does he fit in? I'm not a hundred percent sure, but as far as like, you know, his team having the puck a little bit more often and him having to just swat it away from his own net. I think that's, that's going to be a little bit easier for Jake McCabe going from the worst team in the national hockey league to the one that's, in second place in the Atlantic division.
1: Even something as simple as you, if you help with a breakout and that puck gets to the neutral zone, can you get off the ice and change? Yeah. Or because the forwards are good enough to get the puck into the other end and maintain possession? Like, Chicago, and again, it's a it's a limited sample, just going through some some clips and some of his recent shifts today, but there is a lot of do the work to neutralize the threat, get the puck out of the zone, and then before you blink, it's right back in your end. Like, yeah. the... the the Chicago's neutral zone play is just extremely poor. Mm -hmm. So that's something where the Leafs really thrive. Their forwards do a good job of getting back and defending through the neutral zone and then also driving possession once it gets outside the blue line there. Um, And whatever his role, here's the thing. Justin Hall has averaged 20 minutes, 21 minutes a game. This year, Mark Giordano's back down to 19.30 now after they've gotten healthy, but there was a stretch of time where he was averaging over 20 minutes a game. Um, whether McCabe comes in and plays the 19 and change he was averaging in Chicago, or it's a little more, or it's a little less, whatever, he's helping limit the load of guys who've played the third and fourth most minutes for you who are probably better off playing the fourth and sixth most minutes for you uh, at this stage. And he's replacing one of the question marks. That you had. So, you know, let's say he plays 20 minutes. Well, 14 of those minutes are minutes that otherwise would have gone to Timmons or Sandine or or Hall. And then a couple minutes are shaving off Giordano's workload. A couple minutes shaving off Hall's workload. There there is a... Big additive effect when you're tr- dropping a defenseman this good into any kind of minutes and you've lost nothing off your actual roster to do it.
0: No, that's what's amazing. In in all of these trades uh, for a Selkie winner, uh, a Smythe winner, for a couple of depth forwards and a top four defenseman, there have been names. <laughs> like I mentioned a couple and Joey Anderson, he's spent some time in the National Hockey League level. No impact players have departed the Toronto Maple Leafs. A bunch of... Uh, Draft picks and a couple of first round picks, but no human beings.
1: And the highest impact player on the new flank Rowlers. That's is right. Gogolev. The, he's yeah, he's killing it. <laughs> Newfie
0: legend. Yeah, he's like more than a point of game player in the ECHL this season. So, but
1: that's, so here's the net. Yeah. Uh, so they have lo- They have traded 2023 first and third. 2024 mm-hmm. second. 2025 first, that's top 10 protected mm-hmm. and fourth. 2026 second. And then three Marley, three pretty good Marlies and the best growler. That is nothing off of their NHL roster whatsoever. And in doing that, they've got back Ryan O'Reilly... Jake McCabe, so uh, a guy who's playing in your top six, a guy who's playing in your top four, and they basically remade the fourth line. Like, I, I'd imagine the first look at the fourth line we get is going to be um, Aston Reese, Achari, and Lafferty um, mm-hmm. just to, to see what's there. And, and Achari see- and
0: Lafferty have played up the middle and and yes. have taken face off.
1: Well, this is the other thing. You have 100 centermen now. Mm-hmm. Like, you're, you're worried about a guy getting kicked out of the face-off or, or losing a center for depth purposes or whatever. Like, the idea of... Kerfoot ever playing center on this team again, if he's even on this team past Friday, Mm. like it seems like a real, real long shot. Um, So they've done all of that. They have gotten, yeah, a couple fifths back, whatever. Um, Those are picks you'll turn around and trade again. But they've also managed to do this while getting salary retained the other way. And while O'Reilly and Achari are UFAs at the end of the year, McCabe and Lafferty both have term left McCabe's yep. here for McCabe's 29 and he's got two years left on this deal at 50 percent retention so he is making Justin Hall money the next two years yep uh on your cap sheet and Lafferty has one more year at like 1.1 million which you know, if he's even a fourth liner, which he is, he's shown he's a very good penalty killer, at least because he's got that elite high end speed and he'll throw the body around a little bit like those are two guys that are also penciling in beyond this year. So when you start to think of the draft pick capital, at least those are guys that aren't pure rentals. No, they're not. It's it's different than the
0: blues trade. And maybe the, the upside isn't as high as the guy that, again, was the best player in the playoffs winning a Stanley Cup in uh, Ryan O'Reilly. <laughs> But you got a guy who's having positive results on a horrible, horrible team. You know what stands out looking at at the Maple Leafs cap-friendly page is that that stupid first-round pick they have in 2024, which has to—you got to get rid of that thing. You got to jettison it before Friday, which is possible. The Maple Leafs do have another move that has to be made. Now it could just be a matter of somebody either legitimately getting injured or perhaps you know somebody is a little nicked up, and, and, and you fudge it a little bit, in the, not a, a trip to Robodon Island, but, uh, but somebody's cap hit is, is, is erased um, by going on LTIR. But the Maple Leafs, when they activate Matt Murray, which there is an indication that they will on this road trip at some point, and he can come off LTIR as early as Wednesday in Edmonton against the Oilers, there's like a $2 bucks over the cap. At that point, and you can bury a million bucks in the AHL, but nobody's wa- waiver exempt that you would feel comfortable doing that on this team, which, I mean, leads you to a couple of different things. Like, it wasn't that long ago we were talking about Rasmus Sandin holding out for this team in preseason when his contract demands were not heeded by the Toronto Maple Leafs as a restricted free agent. He signed the deal, and there were injuries that kind of allowed him to see himself more easily in the top six we're at a point now where he might not be on the ice and maybe likely not on the ice in game one of a postseason series. Now, now that you've acquired blue line depth, it's probably not the greatest idea to start just shipping off defensemen and and not recouping somebody. But I will say that's if not now, like the off season, that's going to be a serious point of contention for a guy that already felt like this organization didn't have enough faith in him.
1: Maybe. To that, I would say if you get to the playoffs and he's the odd man out and that upsets him, I would say you had 52 games in the lineup this year so far. You had a lot of those games where you were getting way bigger opportunity than you would have anticipated coming into the season. And the two guys that you were fighting with, like, let's let's assume at the time Sandy and Lily and Hall were playing for when all those defensemen were out and they were all playing bigger roles. Okay, one of you might stay in this role, one of you has got the chance to lock down a third pair role, and the other one might be sitting in the press box. Well, Sandine played the worst of those three. And yeah. I'm a big Sandine guy. I, I think it would be a mistake to move him for the sake of you know, I mean, he doesn't save you much off the cap anyway, but I think he's a guy who has shown enough that like I'm I'm fairly confident he's on the path to growing into a, a pretty good defenseman and he's cheap next year and he's RFA beyond that. But Lil Grin has dramatically outplayed him this year. Justin Hall, at least on the defensive side of things, has outplayed him this year. If you're Rasmus Sandine, I don't and he even got power play opportunities for a little bit there. I don't know what the thing you can point to to be upset about is. Now mm there's also an element of you got to understand where you are. And if you want to be, you know, a a young player, a 22 year old soaking up a lot of minutes on a bad team, that's one fate you could have had. You're on a team with Stanley cup hopes that that's trying to make a run. And you're one injury away from playing in the, in a big playoff game or the second round of the playoffs and things like that. So I, I think this is where things like, Kyle Dubas and Sheldon Keefe and the rest of the staff and how they manage these relationships and communicate these decisions, that takes on a really big importance. Um, I think it would be a bigger deal if if this were next year and he were heading into free agency. Um, He's still got another year. I just, there's probably cap shenanigans too
0: that this team can pull off before Friday that we're not thinking of that you probably don't need to make a move.
1: I mean, yeah, maybe there are. Maybe someone's dealing with some injury we don't know about that's suddenly going to get way worse but the way it looks right now I'm not playing the I'm not playing the the berry money in the AHL game I don't think because first of all it would take multiple guys and we just went through eight defensemen all of who have a decent case to be in the lineup mm. like who are you comfortable risking losing to waivers every one of those guys is going to get claimed and on the forward side like yeah m- maybe you could get one of them through but right now the three guys that Stand to make up the third or the fourth line, rather. In achari Lafferty, and Aston Reese, I think are getting claimed, and you don't want to lose. so Well,
0: you you didn't, yeah, you didn't throw Kerfoot into your analysis of that fourth line with the new guys. And Lafferty brings a lot of the skills that Alex Kerfoot brings. He's got a yeah. bunch of speed. He's able to
1: kill penalties. And, and here's the thing: if you're going to try to bury Kerfoot or trade in, him, this that's the thing. I, is I think that where I was going with this is. um the burying guys, the, those kind of cap shenanigans, you can nickel and dime your way there and, and assume some risk. You could also almost certainly find a team that has room under the cap right now and is willing to either take a look at a Kerfoot type, uh, certainly a Justin Hall type. Um, I'd and, be nervous and, about giving up that time, type of
0: depth. I, and I know both guys are maybe superfluous, especially Kerfoot. Like if, if yeah, if right, Lafferty is... Options.
1: Yeah. Do that, like trade one of those guys Mm -hmm. to get the cap space. That's option A. Option B is try to nickel and dime it and risk some guys to waivers where you're running the risk of losing depth anyway. That's option B. And option C is... Matt Murray doesn't get activated. I guess option D then is Matt Murray doesn't get activated until it's convenient to activate him. So you just wait for someone else to get hurt. Yeah. Um, I don't think that that's a very good way to <laughs> manage things. That is what
0: Kyle Dubas mentioned. Like he, he did say, like we were in this cap crunch last year and we didn't know how we were going to make it work with the, the and stuff. And then Rasmus Sandin, he ended up on LTIR at the end of the regular season. Everything seemed to work out. And that...
1: Could certainly be the case. I think I don't think you can go past Friday, though, without having a little bit of clarity on that. So certainly if you want to wait through the Wednesday, Thursday, back to back and what should be pretty tough games against Canadian opponents that are fighting for playoff positioning. Mm -hmm. Yeah, maybe something happens. But the idea of going into a. Two game set and being like, well, maybe someone will get injured It solves this problem for us. <laughs> it's not, it's not how I would want to be operating things. So seems like bad juju. I would also imagine that, like, in lining these trades up and knowing that they've gone over Murray's amount, that they have things they can circle back to on Friday if they yeah. need to. They have a Kerfoot to Vancouver kind of trade or something like that. That clears enough cap space out and is roughly asset neutral enough to stomach it. Mm -hmm. And you just, when you're, when you're picturing how the deadline played out, you're including that move, whatever was necessary to, to get there as part of the Ryan O'Reilly and Jake McCabe trade packages. It's just, okay, if you've got to then move Kerfoot and you get back a sixth round pick or something like that, like whatever, throw those in your big trade chart and you just swallow it.
0: Uh, we got lots more coming up on on this deal uh, after six o'clock. We'll talk to Christopher Stieg, and then we'll talk to Troy Murray, Blackhawks TV analyst, at at six thirty. But uh, just to put on a put a bow on it for now, in in relation to the Kyle Dubis narrative of him being in the final year <laughs> of his contract with this team, dealing away two first round picks for the first time in his tenure, and again, nobody blaming him, like, and nobody. Nobody accusing him of, of acting selfishly here. This is his biggest swing. It, it has to be said. And this is, there's the, not only no guarantees, the Boston Bruins look like an absolute juggernaut in the Eastern Conference, and the team that you're going to face in the first round also went out and de- dealt five draft picks for a guy who had 20-some-odd goals a season ago. For some reason, they've all dried up this year. But a guy who brings some physicality to, to the middle of their lineup, um, I... I it's hard to fault him, honestly. Now, it could go sideways, and I said the same thing about Alex Anthopoulos in 2013 when they were preseason World Series favorites, and I certainly said it at the deadline in 2015 that paid off handsomely for the Blue Jays um, regenerating interest in the club that we're feeling to, to today, honestly. But yeah,
1: this is it. This is, this is the, the trade deadline that Kyle Dubas will be remembered for, better or worse. It will be. And the Leafs have already only selected in the first round twice since 2018. Um, that's it. This has been part of the strategy when, and it makes sense. It's the same thing. Um, Tampa Bay discussed the. Earlier today or yesterday, I forget my timing now, it's all blurred together, but they basically said they're in a position where anytime you have a window, and especially when that window might be closing, you have the duty to turn yep. maybes and whens yep. into now. That now, was Julian breeze today. Yes, yeah. that that's it was today. Okay, yeah. that's what I couldn't remember. Um, and that's well said. I didn't love that trade, um, but the logic behind it makes complete sense. And, and whether this is... For Dubas' purposes or the purposes of you've got to talk extension with Austin Matthews next year or just, you know, this market needs a run that's deeper than the first round. They have operated for five years now, like first round picks are as much trade chips as anything else. And one of those first round picks that they did use was Rodion Amarov. Um, That's it. That's since 2018. That's the only first round pick they've made. So uh, second round pick and they won't make one now until 2024. If that, um, now this team doesn't have elite, elite prospects in the system. Nice is nice. Topi Niemela could come over at some point, but one thing that this front office has done very well is find those inexpensive depth guys like, you know, Zach, Asin Reese, like now, Nola Chari, um, I got Mark Giordano taking less money. I mean, that one, I'm not going to give them as much credit for finding that value so much as um, being based in Toronto, but that's, that's what this does is you're, you're, pipeline of prospects is a little thinner and that's why you run into a situation at this trade deadline where you're dealing a lot of picks because you don't have the prospect pipeline and that will continue to cycle that way but as long as your nhl team is always strong and you are always pushing chips in to try to be very good right now i think it's Completely justifiable because look at the roster, look at the moves they've made, look at... If not now, when? Exactly. And and like it's different different if you're Julian Breezewa
0: and you do have a couple of cups in your back pocket and a bunch of cup finals. And an
1: older core. Yes. But also with this Leafs team, you know, like take the... Take the curse or the specter of doom from the first round out of it and look at the raw. I know, but like, okay, (laughs) say you're not listening to this on Toronto radio yeah, and, and you can do that. And you look at it and on paper, what this depth chart looks like now and what the numbers say and what the rest of the NHL looks like, like it would be negligent of them to not be pushing chips in right now and letting other teams pass them because I think on balance, this is probably a top, Three or four Dude. team in the league, you can't not like it's the old rule of five percent. Where if you have even a five percent chance at winning at all, you got to go a hundred percent in. Maybe you don't feel that extremely about it, but yeah, you have to be making these moves. Yeah, and they've taken swings and they they went out and got the the
0: Fellinos of the world, and they went out and got Giordano at the deadline too. He was a deadline acquisition. Mm-hmm. So it's not that they haven't taken big swings, but this is the biggest, giving up two first round picks, and and again, totally justifiable. They're they're well entrenched in second place, and they may again lose to the Tampa Bay Lightning. Um, but yeah, you gotta you gotta go out swinging, which
1: pretty clearly Kyle Dubas is. Um, they, they do love trading first, though. It's, uh, it's
0: yeah, that's what you should do. And again, there's one more first to trade away. I don't want to see that 2024 first round pick. Send it out the door. See what you can figure out for Jacob Chikrin. Can
1: can you get the coyotes
0: to to eat half of that money?
1: And if you look at the history of them trading around first round picks, trading away first round picks, rather, would you rather them be trading them for Jake McCabe and Sam Lafferty and Ryan O'Reilly and Nolachari or to get out from Peter Mrazik's contract or for Nick Foligno? Yeah. Or, you know, what was, oh, they got a first back in that one. But yeah, there's, there's all sorts of these. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. They got out of Marlowe's deal as well. Yeah. So, A lot of these firsts have been used to get out of things instead of to add things. This is more fun.
0: And it's certainly, you know, for a team that all that matters, as we well know, is the postseason. And and we'll all watch every single Leafs regular season game the rest of the season, especially when they're on Sportsnet. It does add a little bit of juice to these regular season games, seeing how the the line uh machinations work to see what kind of minutes distribution you get
1: especially when you're talking about jake mccabe and here's the thing if you are fretting that you won't have a first round pick uh in the draft and you won't get that player to get excited about et cetera, well guess what the second the leafs take someone in the second or third or fourth round you'll hear how they should have been yeah, a first right. round talent anyway that's and right. they're way better than uh their draft status so <laughs> yeah uh you're fine yeah
0: no and they've done well in the in the second round again matthew nice is second round pick all right um what I thought waking up today would be the top story is not. Uh, the Blue Jays just hired the general manager of the team that just won the World Series. And he's in the organization right now. And he's going to be a general manager probably as soon as next season. But uh, seems like a good pickup. We'll talk to John Morosi of MLB Network next. As the fan drive time continues, Ben Annis, Blake Murphy, Sportsnet 590, The Fan.
1: Everything you need to know about the Blue Jays. Blair and Barker. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: 5-time Sportsnet 5-9 of the fan. Ben Ennis, Blake Murphy. Blue Jays getting their spring training schedule underway over the weekend. And first taste of the pitch clock. And as expected, game's about a half hour shorter than uh, before the pitch clock era. Also, Blue Jays beefing up that uh, executive suite, acquiring James Click, former general manager of the World Series champion Houston Astros as he becomes the Vice President of Baseball Strategy. Let's talk to John Morosi of MLB Network. How's it going, John?
2: Good evening, gentlemen, and happy beginning of spring training games. I love, uh, love the way the Jays are playing so far. And yes, big news by the Jays are to bring in a reigning World Series champion, James Click, today.
0: Yeah, it was weird to see him, yeah, basically ushered out of the executive suite in Houston after winning a World Series. It just offered uh, a one-year extension, which obviously he declined. And obviously his future is a, once again being a general manager somewhere, maybe as early as next year. But this is a guy that I imagine had the pick of the litter uh, as just about every team in baseball would love to have his expertise and chose the Blue Jays. Should we should we make a big deal of that, John? Because it feels like a big deal.
2: It is. And I, the, the big irony here for me, reading it from the Jays' perspective, is that This is almost exactly what happened with Alex Anthopoulos years ago. If you recall, when when the new administration came in, Shapiro and Atkins, and at least at that point in time, Ross was not yet there – but Alex was not sure what his role was going to be. And obviously uh, not wanting to be the number two in baseball operations with Mark Shapiro coming in, Alex left, as we remember well, uh, and then goes to the Dodgers and eventually becomes the GM of the Braves, wins a World Series there. Certainly, uh, Jays fans would love to see history repeat itself and James Click win a World Series with Toronto. But I think the, the key thing to keep in mind here is let's not forget James Click's original alma mater. Mm -hmm. That being the Tampa Bay Rays. And so uh, when you've got the chance to bring in an executive talent who has won a World Series but also can speak intimately about the way that things work in Tampa Bay, which is in many ways the envy of the baseball world, you have to take that opportunity. This is this is like getting the the other team's playbook the day before the big game in football. I mean you're you're right there. So I, I think it's a it's a really it's a strong hire by the Jays. I think James Click handled just as Alex did when he left the, the Jays, uh James handled things in a very classy way. He he clearly did not see eye to eye with the owner it's not the first time it's ever happened in the history of an executive and it doesn't mean that he is deficient in any way as an executive in fact he's quite good just won the world series so i think it's a great partnership now for the jays going forward to add someone who has i think a different perspective and preparation in the game than what mark Shapiro and ross atkins have
1: i'm curious john what you think um, that Rays experience. Obviously, the Astros went through their years of being tight on the budget and, and focusing everything toward drafting and player development, and, and now they, you know, spend like a, a team of their quality. You'd expect them to. Uh, the Tampa Bay Rays obviously don't get out of that stage. They remain uh, hyper efficient and hyper vigilant, getting every extra dollar of value, uh, et cetera. When you look at A team like the Blue Jays and yeah, this front office came from a smaller market in Cleveland, but they're now a team that looks like they're going to have a top five ish payroll and after the CBT and big investments in the stadium. Um, What can a small market experience bring to a big market in terms of that front office versatility and maybe some efficiencies there that he was never able to scale in Tampa that maybe he'll be able to in Toronto?
2: That's an excellent point. I think, too, with with Houston, they knew as well the the last year or so and and whether or not James Click was able to eventually do it. He was part of a front office that tried to find a way to properly evaluate a Kyle Tucker, a Christian Javier, who, of course, eventually the Astros did sign after James departed, from Bervaldez. There, there's been a really good core of players in Houston that have obviously been a part of back-to-back World Series teams that they've tried to sign, some successfully, some not. And I think now the Jays are, are reaching that same point with Bichette, with Vlad. Uh, obviously, we'll see which of the younger pitchers potentially uh, enter into that conversation. Is there a way to have an analogous comparison between Ryan Presley's deal and a potential way to look at Romano's future. All of those things, I think, parallel quite nicely. And I, I think that you're hitting on a really great part of this, Blake, which is that James Click has experience in in the smaller market and the big market. And the Jays have times when they've been, uh, certainly they're a large market franchise, but they've they've at times had to make some smaller market decisions around the margins in terms of knowing when to sign your guys long-term. I I think if I'm a Jays fan, I'm, I'm thrilled with the way that they've, Spent the last couple off seasons, in particular the last several, really, and and so I, I think you know that if there's a deal to be had, if there's a deal that makes sense for Vlad and for for Bo, I think they'll pursue it. Uh, and I think James Click's perspective on that, uh, it's really a it's it's a broad perspective because he he was there with the Rays, who have been able to sign almost no one with the exception of Longoria and more recently Franco, mm-hmm. uh, and now having a chance to to take that Houston perspective, I think he's exactly the right set of eyes to bring in to the Jays at a time when they've got to make a lot of huge decisions in the near term about the direction of the franchise. And let's not forget, we just saw the news over the weekend of, of Machado's deal with, with San Diego. I'm sure that those, that those numbers that Manny signed for were, were noted and uh, perhaps celebrated a bit uh, by the likes of Vlad and Bo, because it's not as though, gentlemen, uh, the, the going rate for superstars is going down at all, quite the opposite.
0: No, they look at that, and that's the, they view that as a pittance compared to what they're going to sign for uh, in three years. I, I don't want to add drama to a situation that that doesn't necessarily have it, but yeah. And Ross Atkins is signed through twenty twenty six, but they, yeah, they they now have a general manager that has a World Series ring, and and, and yeah, Alex Anthopoulos, you, you you rightly made the comparison to when he spent a little bit of time in Los Angeles with the Dodgers before becoming the general manager in Atlanta, but did not have a world series ring. Is there potential for awkwardness between he and Ross Atkins?
2: That's a great question. Uh, It could be, I suppose, but here's where I think the Jays have an advantage in hiring someone like James click is that they've got a really good um, foundation of their, uh, of the way they communicate the structure. I think Mark Shapiro has always been someone who's liked bringing in Uh, people from the outside that have good perspective whether it's on the sports sciences whether it's on high performance whether it's on the scouting world I would point out um, as you know uh, they had up until the last what two three years ago they had a former World Series winning GM and Ben Sherrington running their farm system and and obviously a little different because Ben and Ross have been friends for years um, but I I think there's a real uh, there's a bit of a comparison there, where, where uh, there was never really a thought that when when Ross Atkins was, was running the show as the GM that, that in any way there was a controversy with Ben Charrington. I, I kind of look at this as being much the same. Plus, I, I think that, honestly, if you're James Click... Um, and and you had all the drama of the last year. Certainly, winning a World Series is great, but then having uh, you know not coming back is all, is uh, less than great. Um, I think that maybe taking a step back and just getting to the baseball side of things, as opposed to um, worrying about all of the other sides of of being the front-facing person, I think James Click has always had a pretty low-key personality in my dealings with him in the past. Uh, Very, very affable and very uh, conversational, but but not someone that seeks the spotlight. I I think that James will be very content to be in this role here uh, for 2023 and beyond.
1: One area that this isn't unique to the Jays, this is going to be all around baseball, but one area to potentially get some small marginal advantages or or be ahead of the curve as we figure out the new environment here is some of these rule changes and, and how they're going to look on the field and how they're going to play statistically and strategically. Maybe that's an area he can help with. Uh, John, what are your early impressions uh, of the rule changes and how they've looked over these first couple of days of spring?
2: So it's a great question. And I'll, I'll begin here with, with, with the data and and Ben referenced in the beginning of the segment that we're trimming about a half hour or so off of the games already, uh, for any, any of our listeners who have had the great pleasure to watch, uh, spring training baseball on a, on a windy day in Dunedin, uh, when as, so the wind was blowing out yesterday in a game between the Yankees and Blue Jays, and the final score was Yankees nine, Jays five, with twenty four combined <laughs> hits between the two teams. Now, as a veteran of the Grapefruit League, many of those days in Florida in February and March, that that right there, those those numbers, fourteen combined runs and twenty four combined hits, that feels like an easy. 3 hours and 45 minutes. I mean that is that is at minimum 345. And yet, and yet, yesterday's time of game, 3 minutes or 3 hours and 5 minutes, 305, mm-hmm. which is for that kind of a game on a windy day in Dunedin, that's like the express train. <laughs> so, so that's I, we're seeing it and it's good. It's good. There's there's a real to me a, a real positive benefit, and the games feel better. There's better rhythm to them, and, and again, you're still getting all the same baseball that we've had before, just in a shorter amount of time. And it's empirically, I think, great for growing the game and presenting it to the modern fan as well.
0: Yeah, I loved it, and I, I you know, I was texting with Blake over the weekend. Uh, actually, during that Saturday game, which was the the, the uh, actually it was the Sunday game in Dunedin, the the first Sportsnet broadcast about how the broadcast started without seeing the the pitch clock and whether that would be a normal thing. And eventually the Sportsnet broadcast did show the pitch clock, but then Blake alerted me to the fact that Major League Baseball is not going to have that thing visible during games. And at first I was like, that's weird. But then the more I thought about it, it's like I actually don't want to see that thing because I, I just want it to feel organic. And, and without the clock, it does look like normal baseball, John. That's the key here is that you're making a huge, huge change to the game but it looks like what we're we're used to seeing,
2: right? The the whole point is that every game that we watch should now look like a Mark Burley start. <laughs> yeah, isn't that amazing when you think about that? Every, every I always like to say that every every baseball writer in the world was ecstatic whenever we looked at the schedule and said, "Oh, Thursday afternoon Burley start," oh, we're definitely yeah. making our flights today. So that so that is. That's great. I feel as though Mark Burley should basically be like the the ambassador in every camp. Like, Here's how you do it, guys.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh,
2: but, but it's it's a. But you're right, and and there there is. I, I support that move of MLB to not have it visible on every broadcast and to your point here's the interesting part about it all is that we are not even expecting that you're going to see the actual hard clock behind the home plate um the actual one that that exists there on the um behind the home plate we're not going to see that in the in the in the actual field of vision it's going to be off to the side Mm -hmm. so like that clock is going to just be sort of off to the off of the distance you're not going to see it I think it's a great uh it's a great innovation that that we don't even see it we don't think about it and you just let the game and the rhythm take over I love it I'm excited about it I I think it's going to be a tremendous way to uh way to have that uh played out here in the future
0: yep uh, I'm with you uh we got to get a WBC question in uh Alejandro Kerr yeah I just you know he he has celebrated the birth of a child or is, is in the process of celebrating the birth of a child. He has now withdrawn from the world baseball classic and, and Team Mexico. Uh we've seen notable names withdrawing from the World Baseball Classic, including Jordan Romano, um, because Team Italy's pool is overseas and, and that's uh, a lot of travel and a lot of uh time commitment to to play in the world baseball classic. I I mean these the Kirk ones like in, in a unique situation that has no solution to it. But is there, a, is there a solution to getting more participation in this event? Like, is it in the right time
1: of year?
2: Well, and that's a great question. Uh, I, I think that the people that are involved in the game would say to you, and, and people that have been involved in the planning of the event for a long time, would say that the optimal time to do it would be to maybe separate it where you've got the preliminary rounds in March, and then in the middle of the season is when you have the semis and finals. That's sort of my perfect dream. That's what it looks like. You, you, you sort of stop the sport for a little longer at the all-star break one time and let them play the games Then, at least the semis and finals. Um, is it the ideal time? I, I think it's the ideal time to play the preliminary rounds. Mm. I think that the optimal time to have the semis and finals is probably July when you can really, uh, in, in my view, take charge of the of the sports conversation around the world. Because at that point, there's just less. There's less going on. You're not in basketball season. You're not in hockey season. You're in preseason NFL. You've got some golf and tennis going on, but you can really own it. And, and so I think that that's how I would look at it, to say every third or fourth year you have an extended all-star break, you play the semis and finals, and that becomes your, your all-star break. So I I would like that. I would also say that we're seeing more and more of the very best players playing, uh, I think that anytime you're asking someone in, in the in the case of Romano you know, to to travel that far, there are going to be some people that aren't comfortable doing it just based on family circumstances their own personal comfort, and I respect that. And I think certainly Nick Pavetta, unfortunately, you know he had to make his own decision to to not pitch for Canada as well. It's a tough like a tough bit of news for Team Canada, but I, I think overall Canada has, in my view. A much better roster now than they did last time around. They've got Ada Lopez there and Bo Naylor, so there's there's some excitement there. Owen Casey as well. So I, I think we're going to see a, the, probably the best tournament we've ever seen in this in this in this version of it. Uh, we've already seen the most tickets sold ever. So I think that we're getting more and more of the very best players. And I think as a result, we're going to see a, a tremendous competition. And, and guys, I promise you, I will be on the ground for you <laughs> yeah. in, uh, in, in Phoenix. So I, I, I can't wait to call back and let you know how things are looking there for Team Canada. Ernie Witt, by the way, the only manager ever to manage in all five world baseball classic so ernie witt of course a native of the great state of michigan uh and the manager of team canada so he is he is a man for all of us the great ernie witt
0: yeah he'll be going into the wc uh, bc hall of fame whenever they they build he
2: belongs he'll have my vote 100 (laughs) percent. love
0: it john thanks for this see ya all the best guys
2: have a great night thanks so much
0: you too john morosi mlb network yeah i mean the ideal time for it would be honestly at the conclusion of the season i guess yeah if you didn't take into account the things that john mentioned there you know having so
1: if you ignored all his good points <laughs> you could disagree with him and <laughs> if you listen to his good points you you have to agree yeah if you didn't care about ratings or you know things like that i yeah, would had capitalism <laughs> if we didn't exist under capitalism yeah uh, yeah cool, anyway. lots of things would be different <laughs> by the way uh speaking of the spring training games uh our pal maury brown tweeting that the Diamondbacks and Cubs just finished a game in two hours and four minutes. Yeah. So we're not quite burly holiday yet. That one was an hour 55. Yeah. But uh, Diamondbacks Cubs, that was the shortest game so far that we've had two hours and four minutes. No, sweet, sweet relief. No, it is. It's, it's amazing. And that's the thing.
0: Uh, Even you say, Kikuchi, you know, was able to, to throw two innings, striking out five with no issue with the pitch clock. There was a couple of times I was like, throw the pitch, make a move. And he got it off like with one or two seconds left on the pitch clock. it looks normal it 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 doesn't look like people are rushing. It looks like baseball is supposed to look, and baseball is supposed to be done in two and a half hours, not three and a half hours. I want to go back to the thing that i I mentioned to John, and I'm trying to drum up some drama between ross atkins and the and James Click, who just won a World Series, which I don't truly believe but the blue jays do and john had a great point about how this organization kind of has a history of of doing that just bringing in collaborators without you know any regard for that potential it's the
1: front office version of mattingly
0: that's a. I i was going to bring up madeline mattingly and eric wedge like for years and years we were like eric wedge is the manager of the future for this blue jays team they obviously don't mind having i i, I don't even know if you would view it like an internal competition but that 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 whatever dynamic exists between executives or managers, they don't mind that.
1: I always go back to when Steve Kerr was first hired by the Warriors and there was some criticism of, well, he had no coaching experience. He had a bit of front office experience. um, But, you know, this was a first-time head coach in a super high leverage situation replacing an experienced head coach. And what did Steve Kerr do? He went out and got all the best, well, not just him, the front office as well, but went out and just loaded his staff with great assistant coaches who all had head coaching experience and were on short lists of if the next opening were to come out. Basically, Steve Kerr was like, I'm going to put a whole bunch of my potential successors if I get fired on my staff, because if I don't have that level of support and quality around me, I'm not going to succeed anyway. So why look over my shoulder and, you know, cost myself success in the process, and I, I think he, he also was, had a, a a nice contract, right? Like, yeah, wow. and, and a career of making NBA money <laughs> and, and a front office, stint. Yeah. like the the dollar amount risk was not significant there, yeah. but like reputationally, or yes. if you wanted to actually succeed in that role and win championships and stuff, that trade off of ooh, I hurt my job security. A little bit optically because my replacements are right there, but also I improve my job security because my chances of actually succeeding are way higher like this. And I think that's the right attitude to take. I also think if you are at the position of being a president or GM in a professional sports team and you're letting insecurity or competition or like fear of competition guide your decision making, you're probably not long for that job anyway. Mm -hmm. Um, So I I applaud this. I think it's great. Even if, I mean, whether you call him VP of baseball strategy or he's a consultant, you know, the special advisor to the president or whatever, Mm -hmm. um, I know they've given him the title. But say this is a shorter-term thing and it's just a quick whip around of best practices. Like when I worked for Toyota, this is a thing we did all the time, Um, like kind of let's bring a whole bunch of groups together that – could maybe see each other as competitors or at least not aligned on goals. And the idea that if everyone is doing their job better, eventually it benefits everyone. So I I think that that's, I think this would be great for a lot of the departments. We'll hear how this goes um, from here in terms of the specifics of his job. But yeah, you add a guy from two decades of the Rays and a recent world series champion for the Astros let let's go. Like yeah, yeah. that's a it's a great addition. And he was Astros Post Scandal. Yeah, that's what I was gonna bring
0: up for the uninitiated. This yeah, this is the guy that took over after Jeff Lunau was uh summarily dismissed. Um he ha- he doesn't have that stank on him. And yeah, just like Alex Anthopoulos, again, Alex Anthopoulos didn't have a World Series ring. Uh, under his belt in fact that was part of the perhaps uh, onboarding process between he and Mark Shapiro but yeah had his pick of the litter went to the Dodgers because he thought they had a good chance to win a World Series James Click go anywhere decided to go to the Toronto Blue Jays All right, when we come back we'll talk to a two time Stanley Cup champion Chris Versteeg as the Toronto Maple Leafs add a defenseman in Jake McCabe that's coming up next the fan drive time continues Ben Ennis Blake Murphy sportsnet 590 the fan